This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey everyone, welcome to The Survival Show Podcast. I'm David, the founder of Ultimate Survival Tips. I'm glad you're here, and I'm the host for today's show. This is a podcast for people who want to be better prepared to thrive in their relationships, work, and life, no matter how good or how bad of a situation they find themselves in. So every week, I'll bring you a conversation with a forward-thinking, world-class expert in an area of practical survival, emergency preparedness, contingency medicine, or leadership, all to help you attain your fullest potential and increase your survival IQ. Along the way, we'll cut through the clutter and take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you and your loved ones need to survive almost any emergency, crisis, or disaster. So today, my friend Creek Stort and I are going to pick up where we left off last time in our home preparedness series based off of Creek's new book, The Disaster Ready Home. To start, we're going to break down a recent article from the Wall Street Journal about the new surge in food supply chain issues and shortages facing the United States and other countries, how it may affect our lives, and most importantly, how we can all prepare now. Then we'll take you step-by-step through everything you need to know about how to quickly build your long-term bulk food storage, including where to buy high-quality, low-cost bulk foods, and the simplest, most affordable, and effective way to package your bulk food investment so that it lasts 20 years or more. We'll also continue our conversation on freeze-dried food and why it's better than canned, dehydrated, frozen, and bulk foods and is the ultimate bug-out disaster and shelter-in-place food. We might even get into why guinea pigs are one of the best survival meat-producing animals for your family. And a lot more coming up next on today's show. But before we get into all this great content, I have a question for you. If things went really bad and someone you love suddenly required emergency medical care right in front of you, are you confident that you could save their life? If your answer is anything but a definitive yes, I think I can help you out with my new Tiny First Aid Guide. A number one new release in first aid with a 4.7 star rating over on Amazon. It's been a blessing to see all your great reviews and comments like these. I was super excited when I saw a second tiny guide was on the way. I love the tiny survival guide and this tiny first aid guide is a perfect companion to the lineup. In fact, I'm buying more to give away to my friends and loved ones. I've taken several wilderness first aid courses and programs and this guide is spot on with good quality information. And this one. It does all that it says. Fits in a wallet or a bug out bag. It's full of information, tips, etc. It's a great EDC item. Tons of critical information at your fingertips in a readable, concise format. And last one. It's a great little carry guide for a bit of emergency care. It has quite a bit of information in a little package that could potentially save a life. As small as it is, there's no reason not to carry it as part of your everyday carry. Now guys, I think out of all the gear that I've developed over the years, the Tiny First Aid Guide is the most important. So I'd like to get it into your hands as soon as possible. All you have to do is go over to ultimatesurvivaltips.com and load up your cart with one or more Tiny First Aid Guides and use code 
FIRSTAID20 at checkout for 20% off Tiny First Aid Guides. Trust me, you and everyone you care about needs this guide. So go check it out. You'll be glad you did. Okay, let's get into today's discussion with Creek. All right, Creek, we're back for part two of this uh, topic around, really kind of around your book, Disaster Ready Home, which I love. I, I keep, the more I dig into it, the more I love it. Well, thank you so much. Well, I'm excited to I'm excited to be here, David, and and continue our discussion about long term food. Yeah. So last time we we just sort of kind of got into maybe an overview of long term food storage, and today we're really going to get into what like the basics of of how to do some of this stuff yourself. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, absolutely. So in our in previous podcasts about long-term food storage, we we talked about just kind of basics to getting started. But I'm going to be honest, you know, pretty much every I don't consider anything that we're going to discuss in this in this particular po- podcast an absolute necessity. Okay, a lot of what we're going to do in order to be in order to be decently prepared for your average um, um, natural or man-made disaster. Okay, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is for people who really want to take that next step and dig a little bit deeper into long-term food storage. Um, We're going to be talking about a lot of ideas and action steps that you can do. To, to just take it to another level because everybody's kind of in a different place. You know, there's some people who are totally comfortable with a couple weeks worth of just rotation items in their long-term food storage pantry. But then there's others who want a little bit more robust system. So this is the food podcast for that second group of people. That's really great. So you want to just take us maybe on a really quick flyover recap of what we talked about last week for people who didn't catch last week you're still going to want to hit that because there's a lot of nuggets that we discussed that you're going to miss in this recap but just to wet appetite and bring everybody back up to speed for where we're going to pick up from yeah so i'm going to just spend literally like two minutes on this recap because i really want we've got a lot i want to talk Mm -hmm. about here today and um so i'm not going to spend a lot of time if anything i say here is sounds interesting then go back and listen to that first one if you haven't already so we talked a little bit about um why uh why long-term food storage is important, whether it's for two weeks or whether it's for one year and beyond. Uh, we talked about the importance of setting goals. And then we, we, we really got into three broad categories of long-term food storage. Uh, the first being rotation items from the grocery store, uh, items that have a one to three year shelf life that you would enter into a regular rotation in your kitchen pantry. It's a real practical way to get started in long-term food storage, especially if you're on the budget. We talked about bulk dry goods like rice, beans, grains, dried pasta. We're going to dig in deep into that category today. Uh, We talked about freeze-dried foods um, in that first podcast. Um, And we talked a lot about mindset, too, about, um, you know, just getting in the right headspace uh, for preparedness and long-term food storage in general. Uh, But this right here is really is really digging deeper into a couple of those categories and beyond. And I'd love to start out with bulk dry goods today, talking about those um, dry beans and lentils and pastas and grains and rice and, and things like that. And exactly 
what role those can play in, in the food pantry of someone who, who wants to get real serious about this. That's excellent, Creek. Now, before we get into this, you and I had discussed before the podcast, there's an interesting article that just came out in the Wall Street Journal. And the headline is, U.S. food supply is under pressure from plants to store shelves. And basically, I'm not going to read the whole article or anything like this, but the article is all about how our food system, even right now, two years into this COVID-19 issue, and with the the Omicron variant, uh, workforces all around the United States, and I'm assuming in many places around the world, are really, really pressed again with, uh, with employees, specifically, uh, not you know, just getting sick. And when it comes down to it, it this article really kind of highlights some major points. And one of the big points is that you can have just one part of the supply chain that it, it could be anything. It could be packaging. It could be uh, pasteurizing food. It could be, um, it could be some sort of like even gloves that people use in that facility. And uh, one thing that I that I picked up from this article, and we'll put this in the show notes that are available over at Ultimate Survival Tips. Just click on the podcast tab at the top of the page, and uh, that will take you over to over to the uh, show notes. It's marked there, and so you get it. You can really read this article the whole way through if you want to. But one thing that we lightly discussed on last week that they mentioned in this article is just one one simple thing. Here's an example from this past summer and fall. There was a time where bulk cream cheese was in shortage. Do you do you remember that, Creek? Had you heard anything about that? I, 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 I don't know. No, I'm, so I'm interested. So, like, my when I first heard about that, my initial thought was, well, you know, we haven't had any problems getting milk here. You know, I wonder what the deal is. And when I dug a little bit further, the problem wasn't with the manufacturer of cream cheese. Cream cheese was sitting in the facilities that make it. They were getting enough enough cream. They were getting enough milk products. They were getting enough of the other ingredients that they used to make cream cheese. But, uh, but the problem was with the packaging. Yeah. I mean, so it doesn't even necessarily have to be the food. It can be packaging. And, and things that I've experienced with regards to this is uh, we have a new uh, credit card size dual-sided uh, diamond sharpener that's coming out. And it's unfortunately, I could not find a manufacturer that wanted to do it or had time to do it in the U.S. So where it's being manufactured throughout the last couple of months, it was held up for several, several months because of rolling blackouts. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and even like with our MSK1 Knife Creek, there's typically, like everybody else, you had mentioned this last week, uh, everybody's trying to do just-in-time inventory, which, which simply means that you're getting it right when you're running out of stock. And it's a pretty good business practice. It keeps you from putting a lot of money forwarding a lot of money for products. The problem is, uh, like for instance with the MSK1 knife, now it's a, at least a two-month wait for us for steel. It's a two-month wait for us to get the knives heat-treated, 
And then it takes the normal two months to make the knives, which when we first started down this road, you know, 60 days to get knives. It wasn't too bad. I could predict ahead. Now it's three times that. And with all of the other stuff going on, every time we order new product, and you're probably feeling this on your, your end with a pocket box, there's a five, sure. five to 10% increase. So anyway, there's, there's food supply pressures. And if, if we thought we were at the end of that, um, this article just talks about how it's going to week be weeks, if not months, if not a year or two before. And that's provided we don't have any major black swan events that happen between now and then before our supply lines are, are repaired to where they were pre-COVID. What do you have to say about all this? Well, you know, the article, what I found interesting about the article was that, you know, it resonated what I see just on my regular trips to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if I would think it's pretty consistent um, across different regions here in in the United. I mean, you tell me if your grocery store is the same way, but, you know, there are entire sections um, of the grocery store that we we frequent um, here in central Indiana that are empty when we go into the grocery store, I mean, I mean, I went into the grocery store the other day and there was one carton of eggs on the shelf and it wasn't the Mm -hmm. one that I normally buy. And I mean, it was, there was, you know, there are just empty, like in visible sections uh, in the grocery store where we go that, that it is, it is just not ever been like that before. Um, So you can, you can see it in, in some areas, some of these interruptions, whether it's the food or whether it's the packaging or whether it's the transportation or whatever it is, you know, I mean, it's definitely not sorted out. Yep. It's, and just to wrap this up, my son and I, producer Ben, who's actually producing this podcast and he's my right hand man here at ultimate survival tips and the survival show podcast. His heart has always been to do farming. So uh, we've started a first, literally a first generation farm, he and I, and uh, look for that on YouTube. We're going to have a YouTube channel called first generation farmer, but it's really interesting. Um, We're it's, it's an organic uh, regenerative farm practices that we're, we're using anyway we're we're you know we talked about this last week and maybe you can wrap it up here that long-term food storage with the dollar seeming like it's waning and inflation happening meaning the dollars being devalued it's taking more dollars to buy the same goods that we did you know a couple of months ago or a couple weeks ago or a couple years ago we talked a little bit about this whole idea that long-term food storage is actually an investment. You want to just wrap that in and then we'll get moving forward here with specifically today's instruction. Yeah, I very much feel that way. Uh, only for, you know, and not only an investment for a potential disaster scenario, but you know, an and investment for a variety of rainy days, um, whether it's job loss or whether it's um, spreading out your your cost of of food, kind of like the concept that we talked last week, um, of where you're investing a little bit yep. in a time the um, cost level over averaging. the course of a long of time. Yeah, dollar cost averaging. Dollar cost averaging. Yep. Um, yeah, in, in food versus uh, versus investments, but um, I look at 
you know, food as an investment and it's important. And we're going to talk today specifically about protecting that investment because mm-hmm. you never make the mistake of, you know, putting your hard earned money into food and then having one day to throw it away because it's expired and you're not using it. So uh, we'll be touching on the concept of store what you eat and eat what you store, but also for the set it and forget it type items, you know, we want to make sure that we're in the necessary portions to make sure that that food is going to be viable and 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 good for a really really long period of time. Just to recap and get into this, what we're going to be talking about today is literally dealing with the five enemies of your long ster- long-term storage food investment, which is eliminating oxygen, moisture, sunlight, heat. And I'm going to call this last category creek active biology, which eliminating ox- <laughs> oxygen, moisture, sunlight and heat actually inhibits if it doesn't completely prevent uh, biology from happening. And what we mean is like bacteria, critters and bugs. Yeah. Well, you, well, let's start, let's start in, let's start talking about it. And we're going to touch on some small footprint farming uh, today too. And a little bit of raised bed gardening. Oh yeah. I'm excited and, about that. You know, just, to, yeah, just as it, we're going to talk about guinea pigs a little bit too. Oh man, <laughs> that, that piqued some interest. <laughs> Super weird. Creek's gone off the deep end. Well, maybe the little, <laughs> or maybe it, maybe I just got some Peruvian in me somewhere in my in my hair in my. I don't, but you know, who knows? Maybe maybe it worked in my. When I when somewhere. I was in Columbia Creek, and you've probably seen these, uh, they have really big guinea pigs down there. <laughs> yeah, they, both the wild and in yeah. the <laughs> I had no idea what they were. They were following me around in the jungle, and I'm like. I have no idea if these things are going to attack or not, and then I learned. <laughs> they raise, you know, they farm. I mean, it's a it's a big industry uh, down in Peru, uh, the guinea pig uh, farming industry. They're big down there. There's, you know, some of those meat guinea pigs uh, weigh um, uh, over six pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not the pet variety that we're used to seeing here in the States. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you take us into this whole concept of, uh, long-term food storage of, of rice and grains and things like mm-hmm. that. And we were talking before the podcast, I think I think sometimes we overcomplicate things, and I've had a lot of people ask me about this, and it's so simple, and you're going to break this down really simply, that sometimes people mm-hmm. look at how simple it is, and they're like, I must be missing something. Are they missing anything, Greek? <laughs> Take us into this. No. No, we're going to make it real simple, you know, and don't, don't you know, if, What's it? What's the phrase? There's a couple of phrases. Keep it simple, stupid, and if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Right. right <laughs> so right, yep. let's follow both of those mantras and and keep this keep this super simple. So in a category of bulk dry goods, we're talking about dried beans, lentils, pastas, grains, rice. I'll give you a big long list here in a minute. Um, in fact, I think David's going to provide a download link to some of the most uh, popular. Um, Dry, dried bulk grain varieties that you that you may want to consider storing, uh, but the this whole entire category represents a category that's probably the easy, the least expensive, and the quickest to get into long-term food storage. Um, you know, rice and beans have fed have fed a lot of people across the globe and across uh, multiple generations, and there's 
you know, this category of food should not be ignored by anyone. And especially if you're, you feel behind the eight ball and you just want to get a couple of months worth of long-term food storage on hand that you, that you could use to feed your family. Uh, this may be the easiest and the least expensive and the quickest way to do that. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time on exactly, on exactly how to do that. So uh, to get started, you may wonder, well, where do I get some of these um, dried bulk goods mm. that you're talking mm -hmm. about? This could be, um, like I said, beans, lentils, pastas, uh, a variety of grains uh, like amaranth, barley, uh, buckwheat, couscous, corn, wheat berries, flax, uh, millet, oats, whether it's whole oats or rolled oats or quick oats. I store uh, several hundred pounds of quick oats, uh, popcorn, uh, quinoa, rye berries, uh, spelt, um, white rice. You don't want to store brown rice because of the high uh, fat content. It tends to go rancid, has a shelf life of maybe one year or so. So when it comes to rice, you want to stick with the white rice. And so when it comes to a lot of these things, you may be wondering, well, where in the world can I get some of this stuff? Well, you can buy small bags of it at your regular grocery store. Um, you can um, you can find your restaurant supply store locally um, here in the Midwest. It's called Gordon Food Services. is a really good restaurant supply store. You can go in and buy really nice size package, just like the restaurants do, of a lot of these different. Um, grains like quinoa and rice and beans. They have huge selections of dry beans. I've bought so many beans from GFS um, over the past few years. They sell them in like six pound bags. And, you know, of course, we're going to repackage all of this stuff that we get. Uh, Costco and Sam's, those bulk kind of uh, club stores, they sell huge packages of a variety of these things. Um, a source that I love is called Country Life Naturals. Uh, they're based out of Michigan. Um, I believe they do, um, I believe they ship nationwide, uh, but certainly in the region uh, where I live, they have a regular truck that will drop your order off. Um, so it's a really great source, and they, and they specialize in organic um, in organic grains as well. So kind of off the beaten path type stuff. Like you're not going to find whole corn at, you know, your grocery store, dried whole corn, but you can, you can buy in 50 pound bags of dried whole corn or popcorn from country life naturals. And there's a variety of other places um, that you can, that you can get that stuff from. Um, let me see here really quick. Uh, the, um, the LDS Church Storehouse is another really interesting place. You don't have to be a member of the LDS Church. They have these storehouses all over the country. Um, you can buy um, bulk dry goods um, from one of those storehouses. Hmm. Uh, RainyDayFoods.com is a really great uh, source. Azure Standard, A-Z-U-R-E Standard.com is a really great source, and they have um, drops all over the country as well. We actually do that, Creek. They, uh, you do as your yeah they actually uh basically most urban areas they're gonna they're gonna drop there we live in a yep. we live in a uh, very much a rural area but there are enough people in our our circles that were interested that you know they do a drop here now so you can mm -hmm. even if they're not dropping in your areas as your standard uh, will do so if 
you have like a co-op or you have a bunch of people that are interested in ordering once a month or whatever, however it works. My, my wife handles all that. But yeah, they're great. Yeah, and I think that you can initiate that process mm-hmm. um, at their website in order to kind of, you know, say, I want to drop. If there's not, chances are there's going to be a drop near where you're at anyway. And you can attest to the fact, David, that they have a pretty mind-boggling selection of stuff. They do, and, you know, it's all really healthy healthy stuff, too. And mm-hmm. uh, the, when you mentioned drop, basically the way it works is everybody congregates at a, at a location that's convenient at a certain day and a certain time. And you, they just, they go there, they unload your stuff, you take it away. Yeah. Keep so going with your list, are, man. This is a great list. These are some sources that I actually didn't know of. So, excellent. Yeah, so awesome. So, um, here, the, here's the key with this bulk dry good stuff, okay? I, I, I treat this food as set it and forget it food. So, this is not a part of my regular rotation other than I do buy quick oats in bulk dry because we eat a lot of oats as a family. Like, I eat a, you know, I eat a bowl of oatmeal almost every night. It's like my thing, you know? And so, <laughs> um, my kids have oatmeal in the morning. Um, you know, we, we eat a lot of oatmeal, so it's definitely a part of our long-term food storage. Um, but in general... All of this stuff, I repackage, and it is set it and forget it, and I repackage it and, and with the expectation that it's going to last for 20-plus years, maybe even longer. I mean, they're still pulling grains out of pyramids, <laughs> Egyptian pyramids. So this stuff, if you pack it right, guys, is going to last you. You'll be handing it down inheritance to your kids <laughs> if nothing happens in between <laughs> now and then. <laughs> you know? What a great inheritance mm-hmm. food. Um, but... Uh, it's super important um, to repackage this stuff at home because none of it comes in durable or viable packaging for long-term food storage. It's all designed to open up like by a restaurant, for example, that's going to consume it within a few days. And so we have to package this at home, just like David said, to eliminate oxygen, moisture, sunlight, heat, and um, active biology, as he likes to call it. I just, you know... And for most people, that's rats and mice, you know, and other vermin like <laughs> bugs and things like that. So um, the process that you're going to want to be looking at is uh, is really, really simple and super, super inexpensive. Uh, the core package for this is a plastic five-gallon bucket um, that you're just going to go buy at your local hardware store. I get all of, almost all of my plastic five-gallon buckets from my bulk dry goods from my local Lowe's store. Um, you'll have the option of buying it just a standard Lowe's bucket, uh, which is the least expensive. Or you can bump up to about 7 bucks and buy, you know, those are another thing that have increased in price, by the way. I just bought some more buckets last week, and I couldn't believe that the food-grade bucket was $7. It did not used to be that much. That has been a price increase. Um, but you can buy a food-grade bucket. It is not necessary to buy a food-grade bucket because your food is not going to be touching that bucket. The purpose of this bucket is durability. Uh, You're going to be able to stack it. Uh, It keeps the pests out, at least least most of them. Uh, Very few things are going to attempt to chew through a bucket. And it's waterproof. Okay, so it's just a really durable packaging container. Uh, If your food was going to be up against the actual plastic bucket, I would recommend food grade. But in this particular case, our food is going to be packaged into something else, which we'll talk about next. We really want that. Yeah. Yeah. So any thoughts so far, David? 
No, you're doing good. I just I might add something with okay. lids, which which I think you're going to cover, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I tell you what, take over. Go ahead, go ahead and hit the lids. Yeah. So it's really important, everybody, to make sure of a couple of things. Creek's going to talk about regular and gamma seal lids here in a second, but the most important thing with lids are make sure that it's sized right for your bucket. When you go to Lowe's, sometimes they'll have uh, how they have like the bucket separate and then on the shelf there's like three or four different types of lids that all seem like they're going to work. But they may not. They may not be sized properly. If you get a food grade lid for the Lowe's, the blue Lowe's bucket that says Lowe's on it, it's not going to fit and it's not going to snap tight. So it's really important to match your lids, one, and two... Uh, in this, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to agree, but maybe not, uh, in this particular instance, you need to have lids that have a rubber or a silicon seal. If they don't have a rubber or a silicon seal, you're not going to be, uh, you're, you're going to be in danger of letting in uh, at least four of, three or four of the, these uh, enemies to your long for, long-term food storage. So you can take it from there, and then I'll throw in, a, a, I think, another source for buckets. Maybe I'll throw that in right now. I actually get my Buckets Creek, from all of all places, from Uline. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's where I get all my office supplies. Definitely okay. purchased from Uline before. Yeah. Yeah, so we get a lot of our shipping containers and boxes, boxes and things from mm-hmm. Uline. And, you know, I buy them, and price goes down a lot when you buy, you know, 10, 20, whatever, I usually mm-hmm. buy them 10, 15 at a time with matching lids. And one of the nice things is they're colored. You can buy colored ones and they're, they're basic food grade uh, buckets, which are actually really, really high quality. And it does cost for the they lid are. for the lid and the bucket shipped here. I mean, we're probably into 12 to $14 a piece, but I mean, you're storing five gallons of food in each one of those. So um, I just, have found consistency and I actually like the colored buckets. So you could, you could sort of kind of color code your bucket, your, uh, your food storage also. Um, anyway, that's who I primarily use. And the reason I got into that is because I actually went to Lowe's, um, and they were inconsistent in their supply and there were no supply issues with Uline. So take it from there on, on lids and, and buckets. Yeah, I've I've definitely purchased buckets from Uline before, and they are really nice buckets. Mm-hmm. And you can and they do carry the Gamasil lids. Just Uline.com, yep. the letter U L I N E dot com, and it's a uh, it's a fantastic source for a lot of random things actually. Uh, but uh, the the Gamasil lids, uh, if you're not familiar with that phrase, it's it's got a snap on ring uh, with uh, with a with an O-ring on the inside, a silicone seal on the inside, and then the, the middle of that lid actually screws out, okay? So in order to access the food yep. inside, you don't, have to, you don't have to take the lid off because once you snap a bucket lid on, they're a real bear to get off. It's I mean, really you typically need a bucket wrench in order to get that off. And so a gamma seal lid is really nice because you can just spin it off, access the food, spin the middle back in, and you're good to go. Well, other thing with that, Creek. So yeah. just, just so you know, your gamma seal lids are probably, because they're convenient, but you've got more moving parts now. And so they tend to be, I don't know how much more expensive, but it's going to be a more expensive option. However, it is a good option. 
Uh, my wife has a very, very difficult time unsnapping the standard lids that we have with our buckets here. She would love to have gamma seal lids, but instead I got her a couple of uh, those red wrenches so she can kind of undo those tabs and get the, the lids off a little bit easier. Yeah, and you, if you just type in bucket wrench on Amazon, it'll pop up. It's probably two or three dollars. They are not. They are not expensive. And just for reference, I would say. I mean, I have. I have dozens of five gallon buckets full of various types of food, and about half of mine are Gamma Seal, and about half of mine are regular. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. so even you know you don't have to feel like you have to upgrade to the gamma seal. I mean, even half of my buckets are not gamma seal lids. Okay. Especially if you're on a budget, you just, you just do what you can, you know, it's no big deal. So the, the other thing to really think about when it comes to packaging is inside of this bucket, we're going to actually put our food into a mylar bag. So you've probably heard that phrase before. Mylar is a metallicized polyester. Think of, like a chip bag when you open up a bag of chips and you look inside it's got that silver metallic um, look to it well that's mylar and mylar is a barrier uh, to even gases like oxygen okay so if you put your food in a bucket without a mylar bag that plastic I don't care how well you seal it up it is still porous and oxygen is still going to get to your food unlike mylar it is not porous and it is a it is a barrier um, for for one of our biggest food enemies, and that's oxygen. And so anything that you're throwing inside of a five-gallon bucket, you're also going to have to use um, a mylar bag uh, in order to create an oxygen barrier. And it's another barrier against water um, as well. And so mylar bags come in tons of different sizes. You're going to want at least a five-gallon mylar bag. That's the minimum for a five-gallon bucket unless you're putting in, you know, multiple sealed Mylar bags in one bucket, uh, which I have done. But typically, you want to do a five-gallon uh, size Mylar bag. You can get six and seven-gallon. It gives you a little bit more wiggle room at top, uh, but it's not necessary if it's an extra price, okay? So here's how this works. Um, you're going to you're going to stuff your Mylar bag down in your fire bucket and kind of open it up with your hands a little bit just to kind of keep it open. And then you're going to start pouring your food inside of that Mylar bag. Okay. About a third of the way full in a bucket. And then just kind of shake that Mylar bag. And it's really going to help to, to, to settle that Mylar and to help that Mylar fill out the bottom. Um, and then you'll just continue to pour and shake and pour and shake until you've got about a two-inch headroom at the top of that bucket. And before you seal up that Mylar bag, which we'll talk about how to do that, you're going to want to put in what's called oxygen absorbers. Mm-hmm. And for most five-gallon bucket food products, most bulk dry, bulk dry products that we're talking about, 2,000 cc um, oxygen absorbers. They come in many different sizes for many different containers. Oftentimes when you buy the five gallon Mylar bags, you'll have the option to purchase 2000 CC oxygen absorbers with those as like a kit. You can find them on Amazon um, in a variety of places. Maybe we'll include some some good links for that. Uh, But you're going to want to put in a 2000 CC or 
if they're if you have smaller my oxygen absorber sizes you just want to make sure they add up to about 2000 cc's because even when we seal up this mylar bag there's still going to be oxygen inside that bag and we want to do our best to absorb all of that oxygen using these oxygen absorbers so that there's none of that oxygen in there that can be used by um, that can you know that can be used by not only eggs and insects and things that might be in there, but um, you know any bacterial growth as well so we've put in our 2000 cc oxygen absorbers and then we're going to seal up this bucket um, i like to lay a two by four or a two by two across my bucket and fold the flat edge of the mylar bag over that board gives a really solid surface and then we're just going to on the cotton setting on a home iron we're just going to run that across back and forth uh, in order to seal that mylar bag and just before you seal it up with about one and a half or two inches left i like to put in my shop back um, the hose from my shop back suck as much air as i can out of that just to help those oxygen absorbers out a little bit and then pull out of my pull out my shop back and seal up that last little bit and it's incredible how if you check your food a day or two later how those oxygen absorbers will will make that mylar bag of food feel like it has almost been um like vacuum sealed mm -hmm. it is like yep. a solid brick of food in in most instances wouldn't you agree david yep Absolutely. And so that really is the gist of the step-by-step. -step. Um, if you've got a pen, and pan, a pen and paper handy, write down this link um, or try to memorize it or shoot yourself a text uh, because I've got a video where I walk through in video on how to do that, um, that process that I just described. It's creekstewart.com forward slash drh dash food creekstewart.com forward slash drh stands for disaster ready home dash food and i walk you through not only um, where to get some of those things but a step-by-step -step video on a, that exact repackaging process and creek let me just jump in here uh, just a little not even a pitch but i'm i'm actually following along right now in the disaster ready home your newest book and uh, pages 45 through uh, 52 go through this process step by step with color pictures and diagrams and everything else so well done at Evernorth Health Services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best it's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI it's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well done. You know, it's important for me to, you know, in full transparency, this isn't a process that I invented by any stretch of the imagination. You know, this process has been used in various forms for decades. Um, and it, it has just, it is a proven system for, for repackaging bulk dry goods at home and i have complete confidence that my food packaged this way is going to outlive me uh, there's no reason for me to believe that this food 
um, is going to go bad. Now, one thing that I that I always like to mention is about bugs because mm-hmm. there are eggs and there are bugs in all of those dry bulk goods. There, you know, the EPA or the FDA or whoever regulates that, maybe both. Um, they, the FDA, they um, they allow a certain you know, percentage of that food to, you know, to have some bugs and, you know, some eggs in it. And everybody, I don't know if anybody's ever opened up like an old thing of oatmeal and it's just got like weevils in there running around. Well, that could potentially happen to your long-term food storage. And I try to address that in three ways. Okay. So first of all, I make sure to put in those oxygen absorbers because that's going to create an environment that is hard for anything to live. Okay, so that's one step, but you know that's not necessarily sufficient enough. Um, the second step that I that I take is I my buckets after they're all sealed up in a small chest freezer, uh, and I just leave them in there for a week or a couple. Weeks, and I just when when I've got I can fit two, I can fit three in this. I can fit two standing up and one sideways, so I can fit three in this little chest freezer that I got on Facebook for like. 30 bucks. And I just leave them in there for a week, two weeks, or whenever I remember them, take them out and put my next three in. And then I keep on doing that until I've, you know, put, put a, put everything that I just packaged in that freezer. And, you know, those freezing temperatures are typically pretty sufficient uh, for killing, for killing eggs and, and killing, you know, and killing any bugs that are in there. The third thing that you might want to consider, and none of this is 100% foolproof, is, um, is oh man, what's the, I just, I just had a, what's the name of that? Diatomaceous just earth. Just had a, yeah, diatomaceous earth. Man, I just had like a brain, <laughs> a, a brain. I'm uh, cheating. It's yeah, on page 51. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like. <laughs> Three quarters of like, the way down I the page, even column think of one. It there for a second. <laughs> So, so there is, there is a powder called diatomaceous earth and it's an odd, it's a really odd concept. Mm -hmm. It feels a little, it, it's, it's super weird. If you've never heard of diatomaceous earth, it's actually crushed up fossilized remains of a plankton called diatoms. Okay. So this particular plankton, when you crush it up, it creates really sharp little pieces. Okay, this, this, this powder is full of the, the skeletons, okay, the fossilized remains of all of these little tiny critters, okay? And they crush this up into a powder called diatomaceous earth, and it's been used in the food industry for a very, very long time. And you can mix diatomaceous earth with your bulk dry goods. Uh, let, let me see. Um, there's, let me describe how, cause the next question you're going to be is like, what in the world does that actually do to help my food? <laughs> That's and, what everybody's and, thinking and help right now. Right. Yeah. So everybody's thinking, well, what in the world, in the world are you headed with this? Well, <laughs> here's the interesting thing for any bugs that might hatch. It doesn't, it doesn't kill eggs, but any bugs that might hatch inside of your food that have an exoskeleton, so that exoskeleton, it keeps all of that bug's moisture inside of its exoskeleton in order to live. Well, that diatomaceous earth, those little tiny sharp crystals, 
they actually penetrate, like get into the creases and cracks of that exoskeleton and penetrate that exoskeleton in those areas and therefore kill the bug. Hmm. So you may still see the little remains of bugs in your food, but they will be dead and they will not continue to feast and lay eggs and completely um, infest your food. So that's the purpose of diatomaceous earth. If you've ever heard about diatomaceous earth, that's what it is and, and how it works. Karen's got a couple of buckets of that around here, and I knew that it was used for that and several other purposes too. I had no idea how it worked. So that was a great explanation, Creek. <laughs> So if, you, if you're interested in buying diatomaceous earth, there's actually a company in Utah that processes it. It's called diatomaceousearth.com. And according to their website, they recommend two teaspoons of diatomaceous earth for every pound of stored food. So that gives you a little okay. ratio. So it's, you know, it's not, it's not that much. You're looking at, you know, a handful of teaspoons um, per bucket, and you just want to kind of mix that in with the food as you are mixing it in. And as you're putting your food in, and then um, it, it it's safe to consume in, in those quantities. So you would just eat that with your food. Interesting. And it actually comes in bulk too, and it's it's not that expensive at all. Mm-mm. No, it's interesting. You know, and like, you know, you could use diatomaceous earth, like you could sprinkle it around your, you know, at the entrance to your house, you know, I yep. mean, and any bugs that cross it, I mean, are, pro, you know, like roaches and things like that there, you know, that, that stuff kills bugs with exoskeletons. Very good. So really quick question. How do we know when our food goes bad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the only time you would know is, you know, when you open it up, you know, unless you, unless you have a, unless you have a crystal ball that I don't know of. So the question, so we don't have to get into this too far because that, your answer just made me think of this. Since we're actually heat sealing those Mylar bags, is there any point where you would recommend people going in and just checking the, the viability of their food just to make sure that, you know, if they're thinking, hey, this is going to last 10 or 20 years, they're prepared if it's not like doing a sample, a sample test of one of their buckets of rice or something like that? You know, it's not something that I do. I mean, I have opened five-gallon buckets of food that I have had in storage for six, seven, eight years. Um, and it has been abs- using this method, and it looks exactly like the food that I put in there and smells and tastes exactly like the food that I put in there years ago. Um, and so it's not something that I really recommend. But the good news is, is that if you wanted to check on your food, You can cut the corner off your Mylar bag. You can pour some of that food out. And then you can always throw in some more oxygen absorbers, suck the air out, and seal that corner back up. So just because you open up your bag doesn't mean that it's ruined. You could seal it back up. And if you were to reach a point where you want to use that food, you don't have to sag back up in between use. I mean, these foods are going to last for months on their own anyway. And so you're probably, if you, if you decide to open up and eat that food, you're probably going to eat it over the course of the next six to eight months. And so, um, you don't have to seal it up in between uses. Just put the lid to the bucket back on and keep it in a a dry, safe place. And that food's going to last for months and months and months on its own. I mean, I did a training not too long ago, uh, with a bunch of guys and uh, girls out in the middle of nowhere. And, 
I had to provide breakfast. And I was like, you know what am I going to do for breakfast? And I told my wife, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to grab a bucket of quick oats. And every morning we're just going to dip our, I'm just going to open it up and we're just going to dip our mugs into the quick oats. And I chose a, a quick oats that was like seven years old. <laughs> nice. And uh, that was our food for the week during this training was a bucket of quick oats. That's all really helpful Creek and, uh, before we wrap up this particular block of the podcast, this particular section, I think it's important to just go back and emphasize the fact that when we're talking about bulk foods, and in most cases, we're actually talking about these being ingredients versus whole meals, where quick oats might be the exception to that. I mean, you could add some some sugar or honey or or whatever you want to maybe sweeten that up or spice it up, but... Uh, why, don't, why don't you just discuss that really quick, and uh, and then we'll move on to the next section. Yeah, so you're exactly right. These almost every one of uh, these things that I've mentioned in the bulk dry goods are are ingredients, not entire meals, and they're all very very bland. Every one of them. I can't think of any bulk dry good that actually tastes good with no flavoring whatsoever, even quick oats. And so, um, so you're definitely going to want to think about spices, spice packs. And I would suggest two things. If you're, if you're diving into bulk dry goods, I would suggest right now to start researching, uh, bulk dry good recipes for the particular Mm -hmm. bulk dry goods you're using online. And I would just go ahead and print those off and put those in a binder I would pick the simplest recipes that you can find and consider stocking them of the spice kits or spice mixes that those recipes uh, require. And I can't reiterate enough because I am guilty of it is I am not a cook and I am not a chef and I have to force myself to practice using some of my bulk dry goods and meals so that I know what the heck I'm doing if I ever had to actually survive on this stuff for very long. Creek, you and I are in the same boat there. Karen is a wonderful cook. And, uh, you know, I can grill. I can grill and I can make I can make a mean uh, Cajun uh, soul food surprise breakfast. But other than that, I'm pretty lost. So I love the recipes idea. Now, you had mentioned last time, uh, use what you eat, eat what you use. Do you recommend the same sort of thing here as far as like, Hey, if if you tend to like rice versus pasta or or some other uh, bulk food, then something else that that's really what you ought to be storing the most of. Ideally, but you know, I there's you know I'm a little guilty um, of being a slight hypocrite in this department <laughs> because you know, like my diet, my normal diet, like right now. So I've gone through several phases with my diet over the past five, you know, the past five years. Um, I have psoriasis, and so I've tried to heal my psoriasis and control my psoriasis through diet. I've been on vegetarian diet. I've been on vegan diets. Right now, I'm on a 100% meat diet. (laughs) So I've been all over the place. And so, you know, grains and bulk dry goods really aren't a part of, haven't been a part of my diet very much for five years other than I eat oatmeal. Um, so I'm not a big grain eater, but bulk dry goods are a huge part of my long-term food storage. 
And so while it would be ideal for your long-term food storage to match up perfectly with your diet, I don't know that that's the most practical thing in the whole world. So for me, I, I look at some of my bulk dry dry goods food storage as as survival food mm, like mm -hmm. this is sustenance if i if things get real weird if you and have to go that deep it, into your food stores you know you're you're not really think that's where you get down to hunger is the best seasoning right <laughs> right 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 and so so i am i am a, i am guilty of storing food that i don't necessarily eat on a regular basis in in the bulk dry goods department but i'm okay with that you know like you know people can call me out if they want and i'm fine with that you know whatever i at least i got food you know and so i i know i can make meals with that stuff and you know and we'll talk about some other things you can do a little bit later on in this podcast that can really mix up your bulk dry goods like you know rice and beans is okay but when you add rice and beans and a little bit of egg or meat i mean you've got entirely different meal with an entirely different right. flavor profile yep. altogether. That's a really good creek. Good, good info. Man, we're just burning time here. <laughs> wow. I don't I don't know if we're gonna get through all this today. Um next up. We're not. I'm looking at I'm looking at some stuff we can we can pass over because there are some things I definitely want to get to. Yep. So we were getting going to get into maybe 10 reasons to freeze dry. I, I covered that a little bit last time and I was, we were going to set that up and we could probably, I'm going to, I'm just going to take 10 seconds here and describe this and I'll let you pick and choose what you think we need to cover this time. And maybe what we'll do is we'll extend this food portion for another week and come back to some of this other stuff. Cause I think it's important too. Uh, what we were going to talk about Creek and let me know if you want to. We were going to talk about freeze-dried foods, but the setup for that was that freeze-dried foods solve a lot of the issues that we have with canning, dehydrating, uh, freezing in a regular freezer uh, foods for long for longer midterm storage and MREs. Would you want to? What would you? Would you like to skim over this for now and get to some of these other things? I mean, I love the idea of, of freeze drying, you know, because the, there are there are a lot of pros and cons of some of those other of some of those other food preservation methods. Um, OK, like dehydrating and canning, um, so because I, yeah. freeze freeze drying is the perfect survival food. I mean, if we're talking about long term food storage, we have to talk about freeze drying because I don't know that there's anything out there that's actually more suited for long-term survival food other than fresh food production than freeze drying, you know, and it's something that I'm really interested in. So why don't we do this? Um, in, I have 10 reasons why freeze drying is a good idea to consider. And when we're talking about freeze drying, you jump in here anytime you want Creek. Um, it solves a lot of problems with these, these other types of long-term storage foods that, that I mentioned, and we're going to circle back to that later in the podcast. But in these 10 reasons you want to consider as far as actually freeze-drying food or picking up some pre-packaged freeze-dried food, um, are these particular canning, dehydrating food, freezing food, and MREs are actually discussed. So let me, let me just buzz through these really quick. 
So freeze-dried food, at the minimum, if you do everything right, basically what it's doing is it's taking your food from a, uh, a frozen state uh, very quickly to completely all of the moisture being out of the food, leaving behind the nutrients because we're actually what we're not doing is uh, we're not applying any heat to this. And all of these other processes, well, two of the other processes, canning, dehydrating food, MREs, there's all heat processes in those. So you're degrading your food and you're, you're actually changing some of, the, some of the properties of that food. Um, but the first item that I have here as far as freeze-drying food, and we say, when we say freeze-drying, you can buy, we talked about this last time, Creek, you can go ahead and buy, and both of us have done this. I, I, to get up to speed really quick, you don't have to freeze-dry your own food. You can go out right now and purchase buckets of freeze-dried food. You can purchase camp meals, which are pretty expensive, or you can, you can purchase, for instance, uh, I think ReadyWise is, is one of the brands I have here. And, you know, I have, I have vegetables, I've got meats, I've got breakfasts, and then I've got various different meals. But they're pretty expensive. I've got a 30 to 45 day supply for two to three people here. And the cost for that much was approximately $2,600. Now, one of the pitches for freeze drying is the fact that, one, up until a couple of years ago, there were no commercial grade freeze dryers available to the public, um, and and so that wasn't even possible for you to freeze dry food yourself. Uh, and two, about the what I have in the bucketed pre made com- uh, commercially freeze dried food here is what you would have into a freeze dryer. And when you actually start freeze drying your own food, it's about a third of the price of actually buying it. So there's, you know, that's a really good reason to get it. So let me, let me get down actually through these uh, 10 reasons, 25 to 35, maybe longer uh, shelf life. And that's one. You can jump in here anytime. Cause I'm just going to run through these really quick. No refrigeration mm-hmm. needed. Okay. So like your, some of your every everyday kitchen food, EDK food that we talked about last time, uh, can be in your refrigerator. I mean, we've every once in a while, every couple of months, we dig back to the back of the refrigerator, and there's some food back there that's still good, right? Um, but freeze dryer, freeze drying requires no electricity. Um, you know, we've got a couple of freezers and refrigerators here for kind of our EDK food because we like to keep a lot of organic, fresh stuff around. Um, but so no refrigeration. You can actually convert frozen foods in your chest freezer or your your regular refrigerator freezer into freeze-dried because actually the whole process of freeze-drying freezes the food first. So if it's already frozen, essentially all you need to do is stick it in the freeze-dryer and it's going to take all that moisture out and take all the moisture out, all the weight, um, and it requires no electricity once it's freeze-dried, which is nice. Uh, the three freezers that we have here, we've got a couple of chest freezers and an uh, upright freezer and then two refrigerators. We had a lot, Creek. <laughs> Someday we'll talk wow. about alternative yeah, really? power to power all this. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, uh, the next item is 
besides needing no electricity once your food is freeze-dried, it's forever nutritious and fresh. So there have been some testing that's been done. When you freeze-dry your food, you're locking in over 95% of your food's color, taste, aroma, texture, and nutritional value and flavor. Uh, Next, freeze-drying is better than dehydrated, canned, or frozen food. And as as I mentioned, there's the enemies of uh, food preservation are heat, moisture, and oxygen. Dehydrating and canned uses high temperatures to preserve food for maybe up to four years. And uh, that degrades the color, texture, taste, and reduces the nutritional value by, you know, up to 60%. And although frozen food can pre- preserve a lot of the freshness, color, nutrition, and taste... It does degrade fast after a year or two. So, you, you know, we're always going through the freezer and it's like, uh, that's that's not good. That's freezer burn. Uh, next thing is uh, you can reduce your food waste and save money. So, for instance, uh, you can have not all meals are created the same, but like, you know, goulashes and uh casseroles and things like that, you can put those right in the freeze dryer. So basically, instead of throwing food out, you can uh, go ahead and put it in the refrigerator for a short period of time, get enough to load up your freeze dryer, put it in the freeze dryer, and then you can have ready-made meals. Next thing is uh, freeze dry. You can freeze dry nearly every food. The only foods that you really can't freeze dry are ones that are have a lot of oils. So, for instance, you wouldn't try to freeze dry peanut butter. It would just make a big mess. But you can freeze dry meat. Cheese, vegetables, dairy, eggs, full meals, uh, desserts are fun, uh, yogurt, ice cream. And the next reason is you can have no-cook instant meals. Pretty much already talked about. If you're into the outdoors, you can actually yep. freeze-dry your own camping meals. Pretty easy to do. Uh, number nine is healthy ingredients. So you choose your ingredients. That's the bottom line. Yeah. You control the quality. Yeah. You choose the ingredients for your food, and it's actually really lightweight food. So freeze-drying removes, since it removes all the water weight from your food, your meals are, are pretty compact and and lightweight, making them perfect for bug-out, emergency storage, travel, and camping. Uh, wow, I got bonus ones here. Freeze-drying food is easy. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, once... My wife, I literally uh, wanted to really test our freeze dryer soup to nuts so that we, we actually have a couple of videos out on Ultimate Survival Tips YouTube. I'll put links in in the uh, show notes for people to those videos. But I literally did nothing with the freeze dryer. It came in here on a pallet with a bunch of um, starter supplies. And we brought it in, got it set up. I got a rolling... Uh, one of those rolling uh, craftsman toolboxes that it sits on in a room here. And I gave my wife the manual and I said, I really need to know if you can set this up. Dude, literally she set it up. And a couple hours later it was all set up and she was freeze drying food. And she's the primary on that. I really do nothing about it. The whole process for the most part is automatic. Um, And the last and a good reason, and it's it's a great reason to do it, and also um, it can be an obstacle for people, is that one, it does 
cost a couple of thousand dollars to get into a freeze dryer. Uh, I'm going to help you mitigate that here in a second. But two, it does quickly pay for itself. So uh, within about a year, if you use your freeze dryer on a regular basis, the amount of food that you'll save simply by taking uh, taking waste that you have, or uh, if you have a garden, you know, having tomatoes or or whatever go bad, or herbs or whatever, um, the waste you essentially can convert into food for the longest term, most nutritional and tasty uh, storage that you could possibly have. So those are actually not 10, but those are 12 reasons to get into freeze drying. And um, we do, I have worked with Harvest Right to get you all a special deal. So if you use, if you go to ultimate survival tips forward slash freeze, if you type that in and there'll be a link again in the show notes and in the, the video description, you can go over to harvest, right? And, uh, they're going to give you free shipping, which is actually pretty significant because it's, it all ships on a pallet and they're going to give you uh right now they're running a, a deal, which is worth like five or $600. They give you a premier pump upgrade, which means, you know, it lasts longer between oil changes and it runs cooler. And they're going to give you a free starter kit of bags, oxygen absorbers, like Creek mentioned, a heat sealer, pretty much everything you need to get started. So there you go, Creek. What else do you need to know about freeze-drying? <laughs> uh, so, no, I think freeze-drying is a, is a really important thing for people to consider. You know, it, you know it, it is an incredible it is an incredible process you know it's an incredible process you know canning was the freeze drying of our yes. of a couple of generations ago or a generation ago you know the, the one one real pro about canning is it doesn't require electricity in order to can right yes. you know you can do that on the stove or um with you know just pretty simple pretty simple ingredient, pretty simple materials. But, you know, when you start boiling that food and heating that food to that kind of temperature, it does really reduce the nutritional value of that food. Um, And um, freeze drying, there's no question that it's superior. Uh, I, you know, one thing I wanted to mention about freeze drying is, you know, when it comes to buying freeze dried stuff, uh, my mentality about freeze dried food is that I, you know, the free for the freeze dried food that I've really invested in, it's single ingredient food. So, um, I do have some of like the pre-mixed meals, but I really feel like the single ingredient, um, buckets or containers of food is the way to go because you can kind of pick the ingredients that, you know, your family, like you could do potato slices or different fruits and specific vegetables or, you know, meat buckets and, those I believe are the the better way to go because you can kind of plan your meals according to your bulk dry goods. Yes. Um, because really I look at point. freeze dry as a set it. Yeah. So I look at freeze dry as a set it and forget it meal that I like to pair with my bulk dry goods if I can in order to add variety and create real meals. Uh, and so like with my, with my quick oats, for example, that I keep bringing up my paired freeze dried item is freeze dried apple slices and Mm -hmm. freeze dried blueberries and freeze dried strawberries. Oh man. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, I pair a lot of single ingredient, uh, freeze dried storage with something that I know I might be, 
um, that I might, might be tapping into in my bulk dry goods. So if I'm planning on uh, in rice from bulk dry goods, maybe I've got a couple of buckets of freeze-dried meat so that I could cr- easily create some kind of mm-hmm. like a Cajun dish, you yep. know, with you know, with a, just a, a couple of spices and a freeze-dried meat and my beans and rice. And I mean, I've got a real meal there. And so that's how I look at freeze-dried food, the, the freeze-dried food that I have personally purchased. Let me throw in, you, you just brought to the top of my memory something that's really important with freeze-dried food too. Whereas you're, with your bulk goods, you call that set it and forget it, right? So you're packing up a five-gallon bucket. You can put your freeze-dried foods in a five-gallon bucket. Here, we don't need to because we're using the Mylar bags and we have a heat sealer that comes with a freeze-dryer. We seal it up. I actually put those in bins just because a a square container seems to work a little bit better and be more efficient than the round five-gallon buckets as far as like being able to stack them and stuff. But here's an important thing that I think even takes freeze-drying or buying freeze-dried food to another level. The packets in my in my uh, pre-made freeze-dried food, they come in smaller packets. They call them servings. It's not really a meal. Just know that when they say 120 servings, it's actually about three servings per meal, if, if you want to look at it like that. So they get, it all gets, if, if you, you know, conflate that in your mind or get that backwards, you're going to think that you're getting a, a lot more food than you're actually getting. So that's one important thing to mention as far as bought food. But the the important thing is when you freeze-dry food, you can package that in any size uh, Mylar bag that you want. So, for instance, Karen made this awesome soup. And one of the ingredients she wanted, because kale's, we, we grow kale, we buy kale, but it's hard to get right now, right? So... She actually opened up one of her bags of freeze-dried kale from this year. She put it in the soup, and I'm telling you, dude, that took it way, way over the top. So you can actually tap into, I would not call freeze-dried food necessarily a set it and forget it because mm-hmm. uh, you can uh, you can portion it out however you want in uh, whatever size bags you want. So, again, like you were just saying, it's a, it's a could be complete meals. But also, most importantly, it's it's ingredients that you don't have to like open up your whole your whole five gallon bucket of food to get at. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so Creek, I tell you what, yeah, go so, ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're gonna say well, the same thing here. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna have to pick and choose here. Let me just propose this. I think we're right up against an hour, which we like to keep the podcasts, you know, around that. So. I think we have enough content, Creek, to come back next time and get into it. Because I really, yeah. I really don't want to speed through the forever food section because I think that's really important. Whether you're somebody who has a small garden or, or you want to do some survival sprouting, I know you have that in here and you're going to get into a little bit more detail. I think some of these things are really important to take our time through. So what do you think about that? I, I, I totally agree. We're on the same page. I want to apologize to apologize to everybody who got really excited about guinea pigs, but I'm telling you right now, <laughs> we are going to talk about cooey, cavy, and guinea pigs in this next, and how he has eaten guinea pigs and personally experimented with farming guinea pigs. Don't hate me if you're a guinea pig lover. All right, do not hate me. Um, 
I, I am a, I am a survival, a culinary survivalist. How's that sound? <laughs> and, um, and so I experiment with a lot of different, um, long-term small footprint food options. You know, it's, this is what I do, you know, like a mechanic might experiment with different <laughs> cars and stuff. Uh, these are the things I experiment with. So, um, I definitely, I'm gonna, I'm gonna deliver on that promise, uh, in the next episode, in the next uh, episode here. And I promise it is going to be worth tuning in for, because it is something that probably you've not thought about, let alone heard some real interesting advice and information about. Plus, we've got chickens, rabbits. I've got some rabbit stories. <laughs> I've mm-hmm. got Y2K rabbit stories, and I'll give you maybe five reasons to do rabbits and five reasons why why, why you don't. We'll and get, and I'll get and I'll give you ten reasons why guinea pigs are better than rabbits. I, you know, <laughs> I have never I've never raised guinea pigs. But you have my curiosity peaked, so I'm really looking forward to that portion. We'll talk about beekeeping. We'll talk about gardening, raised beds. The easiest way to get into gardening, whether you have much space or not. And a bunch of other stuff. So, Creek, as we... Edible as we, landscaping. Okay, yep. Yeah. Oh, we're, yes. We're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna yes. to give you my best edible landscaping tips. So, why not prep with your landscaping, too? So, that's, okay, that's go great. ahead, David. Close us out. You Literally... Literally over the years, because we live in a rural area that's more mountainous than anything, we have developed, we act, We actually, we have elderberries in our landscaping. We've got fruit trees in our landscaping, and we've got a lot of herbs, medicinal and edible herbs in our landscaping, because that's, honestly, a lot of that stuff grows, where traditional landscaping will not. So, Creek, as we leave out of here, I'm actually so excited about the next podcast as we leave out of here why don't you uh, give us a couple things that people should uh, may, maybe if they're interested in all this stuff maybe look at doing this week or some things you just want to leave folks with well i i think you know i think everyone should pack up a few you know two or three five gallon buckets worth of food you know mm-hmm. just for the experience of doing so it's really easy food to pack away i mean everyone can eat rice and beans so if you're wondering you know what should i start with just go get some rice and beans you know and pack a five gallon bucket with rice and pack a five gallon bucket with beans hop on to amazon buy some buy some five gallon um mylar bags and 2000 cc oxygen absorbers uh and and pack up a few buckets see if you can get a five pack and maybe pack up five buckets okay pick five grains or dry bulk goods everybody can eat macaroni right unless you're gluten you get pick a gluten-free option and rice you know noodles. think about packing up two to five yeah Think about packing up two to five five-gallon buckets of food. Uh, it's a really great, not only experience, but you you feel really you feel really solid after you've packed away five five-gallon buckets of food, and you see those sitting in the corner. That's a lot of food. It is. It is. I mean, just think about how many boxes of macaroni and cheese would fit into a five-gallon bucket, and then you start feeling really, really good about your long-term food preps pretty quick. I like that mm-hmm. creek. And one thing I want to leave people with, remember that article we discussed at the beginning? I'll get that in the show notes if you're interested in being depressed. But the fact that uh, you say it's not if but when all the time. And, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. And I'm, I'm again, critically thinking through world events and what's going on with the economy and governments and everything. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, uh, every time we talk, Creek, I pick up. I pick up another level of things that Karen and I can do here for our own prep. So thank you. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
So, Creek, how can people find or connect with you online before we head out of here? Uh, CreekStewart.com. Hop on my email list. I'll send you all kinds of great, um, great information as well as offers uh, to the services and products that, that I provide. Uh, but the book, which we're using as the outline for some of these podcasts, uh, is The Disaster Ready Home. And that's available anywhere books are sold. All right, brother. I appreciate you. Appreciate you, David. It's always fun. Okay, we'll continue this conversation next time. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be honored if you would help a brother out and support the podcast in two ways. First, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so, and give us an honest five-star rating and review on Apple iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. And pay it forward by sharing this episode with your friends and loved ones via text, email, or on social media. It's free to do so, and it's a win-win-win for everyone. And drop us a line using our new podcast email, survivalshowpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know who you'd like to see on the podcast and what topics you'd like us to cover. And send us your questions. If we feature your question, we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast and do our best to give you a great answer. And don't forget to go over to ultimatesurvivaltips.com where you can grab today's show notes for free simply by clicking on the podcast button at the top of the page. And while you're there, check out my MSK-1 survival knife and my coming soon super secret new knife plus my custom designed EDC survival kits and take 20% off my new tiny first aid guide by using code FIRSTAID20 at checkout. All right, everyone, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show podcast. And remember, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp. Stay sharp.